Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. I hope you have your scriptures with you. I want to delve and dive right into this. Matatiao, Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, begins like this. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and testing Yeshua, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Yeshua answered and said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And also in the book of Luke, chapter 12, beginning with verse 54. Then Yeshua also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. And so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be a chamsin, there will be hot weather. <laughs> and there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? Now, these two passages that I just read have some similarities to them. For example, the topic of the signs of the time, mentioned in both passages. And also some of what Yeshua actually stated is repeated in both passages. And in both statements, according to most translation, most English translations, there is a word that pops right out of there, and that's the word hypocrites, found in both. Even though there are similarities between these two passages, the Mark 16 passage and the Luke 12 passages, these passages do have some differences. For example, in the Matthew 16 passage, Yeshua was speaking directly, we're told, to the Prushim and the Sadikim, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And we're told that they had come to Yeshua in order to test him. I was thinking about that. I had the word chutzpah come to mind as I was thinking about it. To test the Messiah, I mean, that takes a lot of, uh, in plain English, some gall. In the Luke 12 passage, 
Whereas Matthew 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come to test Yeshua. In the Luke 12 passage, we are told that Yeshua was addressing the multitudes. The multitudes. And again, listen to this passage, if you would. Same passage, Luke chapter 12. I'm going to repeat it again. Luke 12, beginning with verse 54. Then he also said to the multitudes... Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather, the sharav, and there is. Verse 56, hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. And then this one, this text ends with this question, at least this section of it, ends with this question. How is it you do not discern this time? So to the leaders who came to him to test him, and also to the multitudes, Yeshua concluded with a similar statement uh, in, in Matthew, the Matthew 16, verse 3 version. says, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. Now, there's much to say about this statement, and much has been said about this statement in Matthew 16, verse 3. Yet this one thing is for sure. Yeshua pointed out to all of them, in one case it was the leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the others were told it was the multitudes. That includes the whole group. If you want to put it in modern theological terms, the clergy and the laity, I don't know how you would express it. The leaders and the commoners. He said to them, Basically, to put it in other words, they needed to be discerning. In fact, they needed to be spiritually discerning. And how many of you believe today that we need to be spiritually discerning? We, have, we need spiritual discernment. Uh, the terms that Yeshua used, the signs of the times, we need discernment. So, do Yeshua's words that he spoke in the first century in Eretz Israel, in the land of Israel, do his words still apply to us in the 21st century? The answer is a resounding yes. Yes, his words still apply to us. And if I could state it this way, what a time we're living in right now. There are many reasons why this is a very unique time. Part of it has to do with our communications. Our ability to immediately transmit news matters. Our satellites, our technology, all those things, instantaneous things that come right across to us almost on, you know, within the second, millisecond, we know what's going on. We have images that we see. And yes, what a time we live in now, and our minds can go immediately. Some of the tragedies that were instantaneous broadcast, 9-11, a little less so with the Kennedy assassination, the Martin Luther King Jr. assassination, those type of things. But the point is that things have changed. Back in those days, those type of 
mechanisms were not there. That technology was not there. But still, the Lord told them to use our modern terminology. They needed discernment. Said so even you can look at the sky and you come up with a conclusion. You 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 see the winds, you feel the you see the clouds, you come up with a conclusion. You need to know the signs of the times, he said. Now there are many awesome things that are taking place spiritually right now. Some of you have been participants. You've been out and, and um, out into the world, out into the nations. You have been even and around our community sharing your faith. We heard testimony even as we recited Kaddish today of how God had touched three particular lives. Being able to grab someone from the very jaws of death, so to say, eternal condemnation. And he's doing a great work in many ways. But yet as modern mankind continues to seek after being more comfortable and more at ease and more free time and more, you know, lack of responsibility or, or less responsibility if you prefer, trying to make it easier on itself... Still, with all the comfort that we might try to surround ourselves with and all the ease we might try to afford ourselves, the inherent tensions of living within our current culture nevertheless remains. It's still there. Many have had the experience of going away on a vacation, I'll, I'll never forget, two friends of ours, actually family members, they decided for their honeymoon they were going to go to Tahiti. Great idea. Think about what comes to your mind when you hear the word Tahiti. If you haven't been there, you probably think of palm trees and nice weather and all that. Frankly, they had a miserable time. Miserable time. They had tried to pad their honeymoon in such a way that they'd have nothing but comfort and, and everything they wanted. And when they got there, even though they thought they had paid for everything, they found out that people aren't always honest. How many of you learned that people aren't always honest? I'm a half full cup guy, <laughs> and some of you are like that. But not everyone's honest. And listening to them tell us about how they ended up for, for their honeymoon, their meal was peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That was all they could afford. And they had gotten ripped off in their vacation or honeymoon package. <laughs> they had tried so hard to make it the very best comfy, cushy thing they could. It didn't work. And sometimes we as human beings can strive for that. We try to insulate ourselves. But no matter what, there they go to Tahiti and they still have the tensions of life upon them. Now, some of the tensions that may impact you or me, <laughs> these may sound familiar. Let me start with some of the more obvious, like political uncertainties or economic uncertainties, the upticks and the downturns of not only our personal finances, but maybe national finances. We may experience tensions 
even in our own family dwelling place. Tensions that we don't really want, we didn't bargain for. We had hoped we would never have those. Family situations. As much as we might want to be away from them, they're there, they're there, they're there. How about health tensions? Dental tensions. Have you ever had issues with dental issues? That's a biggie. And there are mental issues. And there are other types of medical issues. When you start getting into surgical issues, not only just for yourself and maybe for a loved one, it can really pile on you. There's one that's out there now. To be vaccinated or not to be vaccinated, this is the question. And strains and tensions within the marital setting. It's there as much as you might try to run away from it. It can be there. It's there. It can be real live there. And you know, you're not necessarily immune from it when you've been married 40 years. Your tensions may switch some. But sometimes they're still there. And there are other types of tension. How about the, what we used to call the generation gap? How many recognize that term, the generation gap? And then there's the communication gap. Have you ever tried to communicate with someone, uh, especially on the telephone, on the phone, and you couldn't understand a word they were saying? <laughs> Had a situation yesterday where I got linked up with someone in another country, and I won't mention the country. And I, when, I, when I was transferred over and I heard the accent, I thought, oh, no. <laughs> and I feel like I do okay with language. I thought, oh, no, how am I going to communicate these technical things? And she was spot on with her communication. She was so good that at the end I said, thank you, you were great. What is your name? Her name was Ruby. She was a Ruby. <laughs> But it doesn't always go like that. There's miscommunication. This one says this, this one says that, and they don't meet. And that brings tensions. The generation gap brings tension. Some of what our children are saying, I have three of them, we have three of them, is communicated a different way than I might have expected. And you know, it's pretty well classified, and, I, and, and forgive me if I leave some groups out, but there are the Gen Xers, the boomers, and in this case, it's not boomer sooner stuff, it's baby boomers. There used to be what was called the silent majority. How many remember that group, the silent majority? A few of us. <laughs> The counterculture, the flower power people, the hippie, the yippies, uh, and I might add as well the dippies, the trippies, and the sippies. They were all out there. That era was going on. And they had all experienced something, and despite their best efforts, each group created some type of tension. There was some type of tension they created within the society, within our culture. 
And now, and I don't want to forget the millennials. How many of you are millennials? That's someone who is, according to the definition I saw, someone born after 1980. Any millennials here? All right, two? Oh, there's got to be more than that. <laughs> well, millennials, for better or for worse, they've become a heavily studied group. They've been heavily studied. They've been surveyed and surveyed in America. Which shows, by the way, their importance for the future of the country. Their importance to the future of our nation and its direction it will take. In fact, several years ago, the very reputable group called the Pew Research Group they published a survey that the results were kind of, you know, mystifying. They found out in surveying the millennials, they found out, here are some of the statistics they came up with. And it was a, a survey involving thousands of millennials. Pew Research found that 29% of millennials are not religiously affiliated. 29%. You know what that says to the rest of us? We have our work cut out. And 36% see themselves as a religious person. Not so much affiliated, but a religious person. If you, in the response to the survey, they said, well, I'm a religious person. So 29% claimed to not be religiously affiliated, and 36% saw themselves as a, a religious person. 81% of the millennials that Pew Research studied in their survey, 81% of the millennials at that time were on Facebook, and probably it's even higher now. 81% were on Facebook. They found that the average Facebook millennial had 250 Facebook friends. And 55% of millennials, according to the Pew Research Group, 55% of millennials had shared a selfie with someone online. So they'd taken a picture of themselves and shared it out there, put it out into the world, the, the, the web world as it's called. And here's where the survey to me got really fascinating. It was even more revealing to me as I looked at the statistics. They found out that only 19% of the millennials polled by the Pew Research Group, 19%, one in five, said that generally speaking, most people can be trusted. One in five felt that way. And Pew Research decided to compare with other surveys they'd done, whereas millennials said, 19% of the millennials said most people can be trusted, only 19%. They found in comparison to the other older generations that the numbers range between 31 and 40% of the older generations felt like most people can be trusted. 
So when you start to play with those ideas and put it together, you realize that there's been an erosion somewhere, a, tra a transferal, an erosion that's happened of distrust. And there may be reasons why millennials, 19% feel that people can be trusted and the other 81% feel like people can't. There may be reasons. So in analyzing the data, researchers concluded in broad terms that millennials are developing increasing tendencies towards basic distrust and social disconnection. When they analyzed all the data, and I'm giving you a few data points. They came up again, let me say this again, that millennials are developing increasing tendencies towards basic distrust and a social disconnection. A word that could be used would be an adjective to describe might be they've become skeptical. Skeptical. Yet, meanwhile, and I'm going to go back to a little bit farther past the millennials, as the Beatles once sang to a different generation back during the Vietnam War era, and I know that somebody's going to be singing this afterwards. The Beatles once said, Oh, bloody, oh, blada. <laughs> on and on, life goes on. And I won't ask if you recognize that song or not. <laughs> So the point of the Beatles song was, well, life just keeps going on and on. And yes, societies and generations keep going on and on and on. But what's being transferred? Are we able, as generation to generation, able to discern the signs of time, of the times? You see, the ordinary flow of life, which we're all part of, and we have that in our own lives, personal lives, the ordinary flow of life, you know, it's upticks and it's downturns, it's routines and it's responsibilities. All that can kind of lull us into a state of what could be called complacency. In other words, we, we do those things, but that's it. We become complacent. We may not even be looking up to the heavens from which comes our help, to the Lord of the heavens. But we should be aware, and this is a key point here, we should be aware that at any time, at any time, the Lord may choose to shake things up. You know, he did so when we read Parashat Noah. He did so in the days of Noah. And actually, when you think about it, he did so in other times. Noah was a big shake-up. <laughs> it was as if God was reminding everyone the society was getting more and more corrupt. And God was reminding everyone to those who had ears to hear. And by the time of Noah, it was a small group of people that could discern the signs of the times. God was reminding them that he is the sovereign Lord of the universe that he is the Melech Hamlachim, the King of Kings, and that he is not to be disregarded and he will not be mocked, regardless of what generation it is. 
Yeshua warned in Matthew chapter 24, verse 38. He said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, what were they doing? They were eating and drinking. It was the routine. It was the, 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 the things they did. They were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. They were doing these things until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. And then Yeshua says this, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Do you have discernment in this generation? Are you keeping your eyes on the signs of the time? It's not beyond God to shake things up. And I'm sure if I asked you to raise your hand, how many of you can honestly say God has shaken things up in your life at one time or another? Most of us would say yes. Or some like to say God knows how to get our attention. He knows exactly everything about us and he knows how to get our attention. So in Noah's days, up until the flood came, everything just seemed normal to those who lived around Noah. Just seemed normal course of life. Their daily existence. We could characterize their daily existence as their daily existence was an existence oblivious to God in his power. We certainly don't want to fall into that. Whether we're a Gen Xer, whether we're a millennial, whether we're a silent majority, whatever we are. Gen Z now. We don't want to fall into that type of a mentality that we're oblivious to the Lord in our life. That he has requirements of us. And we don't want to just pass away, pass, push to the side his call on our life so that we can just do our own thing. We would call that a lack of wisdom and a lack of discernment. Yet, it's wonderful in our parasha, parashat Noah, this week's Torah portion, that Noah seemed to, he's building the teva, the ark, but he seems to have his eyes on the sky. He's discerning the signs of the time. He seems to get it. So he has his eyes on the sky, and what is he doing? He's busy using his time, his strength, his resources, and we could even say sweat equity to build, to do what God had told him to do. And the only way we can survive this type of a situation we're in in this 21st century with all the tensions to make sure we are busy about the will of God. That we have our eyes on the prize, that we're discerning the signs of the time, and that we are literally doing what God wants us to do. So there's three things I'd like you to keep in mind concerning Noah and his age. Number one, society in Noah's day reeked, reeked of degradation. It reeked of it. Number two, 
Rebellion towards God as shown through pervasive licentiousness, debauchery, drunkenness, immorality, violence, and all those unholy ways became normal for the society around Noah. Not only normal, but accepted. And number three, society's evils were then, please listen, they were transmitted generationally. You know, it says that the whole generation was lost. Did you ever think about the age groups of those people who were lost? Please don't think they all had long beards like Noah. They were young, teens, tweeners, Gen X's, you know, however we want to describe them. And they were all lost. So society's evils were transmitted generationally to the baby boomers and the Gen Xers, the millennials, and the rest of the age groups of the people that were living in Noah's day. Maybe they didn't call them that, but they were still there. If Pew had done a survey back at the time of Noah, they, and they could have picked out a group of millennials and questioned them. Now, am I exaggerating all this? Hardly. Actually, let me fess up. I am understating it. There are great societal tensions now, and there were great societal tensions in Noah's day. So here's how God described that time. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. God saw, by the way, God sees. So don't think he doesn't. He's not blind. He sees. Don't think he, you got some kind of a you know, covering over you and he doesn't see. He sees. God saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth. And notice this next phrase. Every, every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow, what an eyeful God had. And then later on in the same chapter, chapter 6 of Genesis, Sefer Bereshit, verse 11, we read, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with Hamas, with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. Listen to this next, please, this next statement, please. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Thankfully, there's Genesis chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. So the Lord said, I will destroy man. I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them, as Christopher alluded to this morning. And then there's this awesome verse. Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 6, verse 8. But Noah found grace, chen, in the eyes of the Lord. What a contrast from verse 7 to 8. 
the earth is completely corrupted. God said, I'm going to destroy it all. But then Noah finds grace. Are you finding grace in our generation, in your life? And is that grace of God separating you from the unholy ways of the society around us? That's what happened to Noah. That's what must happen with us. In fact, the very root idea of being holy is to be separated from or separated out of, separated onto the Lord. So for Noah and his family, it was made clear that the time was coming. As we read the parasha, that the time was coming when God would bring everything to an end. Genesis chapter 6, Sefer Bereshit chapter 6 verse 13 says, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them from the earth. <laughs> the very next statement, teva, make for yourself an ark, and describes what the ark was to be made of. And we learn further in the book of 1 Peter, Kepha Aleph, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. Notice this first few words. The divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. The divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight, eight souls were saved through the water. Now, the numerics connected to Noah's day were incredibly lopsided. Incredibly lopsided. All of the society was on one side, and on the other side stood eight people that had found Matzachen b'nei Adonai that found grace in the eyes of God. And the way of destruction was broad on one side, and the way of redemption and salvation was narrow. And yet it's not the numerics that we should be focusing on, the whole society versus eight people in Noah's family. I think there's another configuration we should think about. The ultimate question is not the numerics. The question is this. On whose side was God, or better yet, who was on God's side? And that same question still resonates to this generation in these days like Noah. Who's really on God's side here? Talks cheap. God said, Aselecha teva. Do the work. Take the actions. Do my will. The question on whose side was God or who was on God's side, and let me establish this one idea right now as we conclude. And I think it's an incredibly encouraging idea that I want to establish. And it's from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 31. Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, wrote, what then shall we say to these things? Please read it with me. 
if God is for us, who can be against us? A little later on, and I'd encourage you to read all of Romans 8, but for brevity's sake, let me just skip to some verses later on. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. Rapshaul writes, Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. But how? We are more than conquerors through him, through Yeshua who loved us. And then he writes in a very personal way. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to what? Separate us from the love of God, which is in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Friends here today in our generation, millennials, Gen Xers, Zers, tweeners, there's all the different names. We need to make sure that we keep ourselves, as the book of Yehuda, Jude says, to keep ourselves in the love of God. Praying in the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says this. When we think about Yeshua's return, which can happen at any time, I know I've heard people say, no, it can't happen because he hasn't done this and he hasn't done that. Wow, to me, that's just like off the charts. <laughs> God is God, and he can do what he wants, when he wants it, and how he wants it. But we're told this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. But you, brethren, and please grasp this for yourself, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. If you're following Yeshua, the light of the world, you don't need to be walking in darkness. You should be walking in the light of the Messiah. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. And Yeshua has said, I will come as a thief in the night. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, not of darkness. Why sometimes do we live like that? Therefore, let us not sleep let us not sleep as others do, but let us be what? Let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on what? The breastplate of faith and love. And as a helmet, the hope of Yeshua of salvation. Verse 9. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to attain salvation through our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Friends, our days are like the days of Noah, very much so. How many more days do we have? I don't know. I do know this, to use the old Shakespearean term, our days are waxing worse. Things are getting worse in many circles. Yes, God is doing a great work in many circles also. But the corruption that's setting it in so many places. 
It's difficult to bear at times. And I know that many of you have, have felt that, that tension inside of you. You have this desire to serve God in this generation. And you're, you're being pulled in all different types of circumstances, you know, trying to pull you away from that walk of faith that's not according to sight. As we look to him who's unseen but who's returning soon, Yeshua the Messiah. For those whose eyes and their hearts are fixed upon our risen Messiah, who are looking up because they know their redemption's drawing near. They know the day they're living in right now. And they know they can't go the way of the generation of Noah. They have to be among the eight. They have to be among those of few. Because the way of destruction is broad and many go that way, but few there are, relatively few. Is that you today? Have you given your life fully to the Lord who's coming back soon? You know, the one word that was in both the Luke and Matthew passage that I started this message with was the word hypocrites. Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> hypocrites. And so often Yeshua had compassion on those that were asking him sincere questions, whether they were Pharisees, Sadducees, young, old, Gentiles, non-Gentiles. He had compassion. The thing that he seemed to continually speak about was hypocrisy. I pray today as we head out from this congregation, we go to lunch to the Havara room for Oneg, and stay for classes afterwards, that we will, we will redeem this time, this Shabbat, and that not only will we redeem this Shabbat, but we'll make it a point to redeem Yom Rishon and Yom Sheni, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and make sure that we follow the Lord in those days, not just on Shabbat. <laughs> These are the days not only of Noah, but I believe these are also the days of the Ruach, the Spirit of God. And I pray he touches many hearts, and may he begin with us. Will you please pray with me? Avinu Shabbat our Father in heaven, thank you, O Lord, that you are still waiting with long-suffering for all those who would turn to you in this generation, whether they be children, millennials, Gen Xers, silent majority, flower people, Lord, I pray that you would touch many hearts and lives. Lord, we thank you for so great a salvation that while we were yet sinners, that you sent your son, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah, to bear our sin, to lead us in the way everlasting, to give to us of his Ruach HaKodesh, his Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for each person hearing these words that you would hover in each life, that you would guide us and help us to make the right decisions in this increasingly difficult, even wicked generation, so that we might be found awaiting your return 
not spurning you as you arrive. Thank you, Lord, that it was your wisdom that said no one knows the day nor the hour of your return so that we might be alert, sober-minded, sober-hearted, resolute in our determination to serve you with gladness and to rejoice in your delivering power. We pray especially for Israel today with enemies on many borders, Lord, I pray that you would bring many into your kingdom at this time, that there would be a revelation of the Besarah. There would be a, an opening of the eyes of the good news of Messiah. And I also pray, Lord, that you would be with our nation here, the United States, that your will would be done in this nation, even as it must be done in heaven. I ask these things according to the merit of Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.